Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm really excited. I have a teacher on here who's from the UK. Her name is Florence Taglight, and she is doing something pretty phenomenal. She is um, not only someone who's recovered from her own eating disorder, but she is a mental health activist. And like I said, she's a, a school teacher. She's a primary school teacher, and she's committed to ensuring that mental health is taught to children with as much emphasis as other subjects. And currently she's curating a training program for teachers and other school adults to learn about eating disorder signs, symptoms, and most importantly, prevention and early intervention of that. And, you know, I really have always said that in schools, yes, it's important to teach uh, the subjects, but we're also humans. We're not just um, people that that learn math and reading and all the great things we need to learn. But there's been a lack of teaching us the skills, the human skills that are necessary um, for us to also really function well. Uh, the things that people come to me as adults to learn, the things like um, what are feelings, what am I thinking, what are self-care techniques, what are coping skills, um, how do I communicate properly, what are healthy relationships, um, even things, you know, with eating disorders, like how do I read my body signals to know when I'm hungry, when I'm not hungry, um, and, you know, I think what Florence is doing now is looking at our current society and um, saying, how do we really make an impact on our youth and um, the society and world we're living in and have them have awareness and knowledge about social media and make sense of all the things that we're exposed to. Um, and, you know, she's here to talk about all this. I think these, these are all things that come up and I'm really excited to have her here and talk more about her own story, her own journey. Um, what she's doing and all the great, wonderful things uh, that uh, she's, you know, come come up with and how this is all going for her. So with that, I'm excited to bring her on. All right. Well, Florence, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, always interested to know uh, people's personal journeys and I appreciate your willingness to, to open up here on the show. Um Wondering what um, what are you open to sharing in terms of like your own personal journey with uh, eating disorder food? So my personal journey is very open. I do not mind sharing about that. About I went to, I went to a treatment center in the UK, and then I've been to two treatment centers in the US. The difference is huge, but yeah, no, I'm open to sharing. Okay. Um. So was there a particular moment in time or age or like what was it for you because everybody seems to have this like moment where they realize 
okay, my relationship with food or my body, maybe something's off or I... So until I got to 18, it was totally fine. Like until I got to 18, it never even entered my thoughts or I'd never even been any concern around food or my body or my weight. I was an athlete. I just like really enjoyed going out to dinner with friends and it was just something I did to every day, like regularly. And it wasn't until I got, you know, was finishing up school that everything kind of, like the, the anorexia and like exercise addiction all came into, like into play. So now looking back, can you identify like what might have shifted or changed at 18? Well, I was moving to the US for, um, for uni. So I live in London. I was moving to America for uni. I was leaving the school that I'd been at for since the age of three so I was at the same school from three to 18 um I had ended with my boyfriend who I'd been with six and a half years um and I think it was just like a lot of changes that I didn't know how to express that I wasn't as confident as I seemed about them but it's funny because it's it's not even that I didn't know how to express I didn't know that I didn't want to like in my head and at the time and when I look back at my journals from the time like it was exactly what I wanted and I don't think I was able to identify that there was a part of me that was scared. And I, um, when I speak about it, I often say, like, I didn't know how to express I was scared. But I actually don't think I knew I was scared. Hmm. Not just the expression of it. And that's just how it came out. Because then people would have to be worried for a different reason. So that's interesting. Like, before that time, had you ever experienced, like... It sounds like you were journaling. Were you journaling before that time or was that something that you no, to do? No, okay. something new, yeah. Okay. So, because I think about a lot of times people who, well, myself included, like there was just this lack of ability to even identify like what feelings were coming up, but then this inability to even feel like it was okay to express emotions. So I'm wondering if like before that time, like in your family of origin even, was were emotions like okay to express they were, did you feel yeah like they were they definitely were? they were encouraged they were there was no sort of like perfectionism in my family um there was no hiding of emotions there was no pressure to be one way or the other I have two sisters who were all very different and that was always celebrated mm. um and so it, I think it was a shock it was a shock to everyone like family friends teachers included um and teachers just kind of turned a blind eye to it, to be honest, because I think I was such an outgoing person and so well known at school um, for doing sport that and like always I'm always smiling, always giggling, like always happy, very outgoing, very outspoken. Um, and I think like having spoken, I've spoken to some teachers since it happened and been like, did you know? Um and they were like, we had an inkling, but like we were scared to face the truth of it because we'd seen you like this from the age of three. So like how you are. And so the fact that it was like that you were changing was quite like horrific to them too. And I know some of my friends had mentioned it to my teachers um, and they were just like, oh no, like I think she's just going through change. And like they didn't really, and they say now, like, I don't know if they would have done anything different. I haven't spoken to them about that, but like they 
they were just kind of shocked and didn't really imagine it being real. And I think that's what's hard because teachers don't have any training in mental health. Um, I studied for a year to be a teacher and I think I learned how to do short division and long division like a good 15 times, but not once did I hear that a child might be suffering from anxiety or to check that children are eating their lunch or to see how children are feeling in the morning when they come in. I didn't hear about that at all. That was something. So like my colleagues, when I notice something, if something's wrong with a child, I'll often notice it because I've been there. And if I notice it, they're like, oh, well, I think it's just nothing. And it's like, obviously, you're not going to recognize that. If you're not trained to spot the signs of dyslexia, you're not going to spot dyslexia. So if you're not trained to spot the signs of depression, of anxiety, of anorexia, of bulimia, you're not going to you're not going to know what to look out for and that's what i think we priorities need to change in training you know just as you said that that it brought up so many things like i have two uh, teenagers and i thought gosh they spend so many hours a day with their teachers and so yeah why why isn't that part of the training for teachers of the curriculum um, yeah I spend more time with my children than most of their parents do because they're working parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. So I cho- I see the children have breakfast, snack and lunch. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy in it. And I understand like teachers aren't, some teachers take the view that we're not meant to be healthcare professionals. We're not meant to be therapists. But like I don't know about in America, but in England, they're trying to bring in like brushing teeth into the curriculum in year one. Um, and so like okay so you're making me a doctor there like <laughs> a dentist there but you're not teaching me how to and like it's not like when I was younger and we didn't always have phones like to check but like when teachers used to say to me why do, when we used to say why do we need division and they'd say oh because you won't always have a phone on your calculator you will now so it's just like changing and shifting the priorities of what we're teaching really needs to be representative of what society need and that's ever-changing and right now more than ever is social media body image and mental health so just thinking back to your own experience too do you think if a teacher would have maybe taken more note or had maybe even had training when they were going through their teaching credential um, and saw more of the signs of what you were going through and like even mentioned to you or to your parents something yeah most definitely yeah I definitely do I think the teachers that I were really close with were PE teachers Mm -hmm. and many of them saw moments that made them worried or like think that there was something going on but they saw them in isolation so they weren't seeing a bigger picture and that's what as teachers were always told to look out for when we're looking for signs of dyslexia or neglect or abuse Mm -hmm. it's the little moments that add up it's not one big bang and I think that if the teachers had mentioned it to my parents who had heard it from my friends it would have started to form a picture around what was going on but the isolated moments didn't add up to anything they were just random occasions and I think had the teachers brought it in that they'd also noticed these changes in me because I was very good at playing the part at home people with eating disorders are excellent liars and excellent actresses and actors um like brilliant at it and so I could play the part to everyone and no one knew I was lying but if there was a form of communication 
that, that those lies would have come out. Well, so, I mean, now you are a teacher and what grade are yeah. you, what, what are the ages? You're I teach, so I teach year four, so that's the equivalent of third grade. And I used to teach year five, which equivalent fourth grade. Okay. And so, um, you know, you and I have talked before this recording and I wanted to get you on because what you're trying to do is very innovative and interesting. And I think important to talk about is um, what is it that you are trying to implement now? Uh, I'm trying to ensure that teachers training incorporates mental health um, and I'm not asking for them to train teachers to be therapists I'm asking them to train teachers to know the signs to look out for the warning signs and the next steps because in the past I have had concerns about a child and not been able to bring up those concerns due to it not being the teacher's remit it's the nurse's remit um and we have a nurse that visits our school once every six weeks mm. we don't have a school like it's not possible it's not funded and it's no fault to the schools that's the state system um and a lot's going on with the nurses and the doctors who are working so hard and they're just they're not get, they're not being treated right so I'm not blaming them at all it's just that if if teachers aren't trained to spot it they're not going to and those with eating disorders, early intervention is key. It's not something that just might help. It is the thing that is going to save that person or that child's life. And I think that often parents aren't aware of it either. And the school I come from has a lot of parents with different cultures. And it's even more important that the communication is open because they don't know what's happening with their children all day. And it's just, if teachers knew what was if teachers were able to spot the signs, I can spot the signs. And I don't see it every time. And I'm sure there's children that have slipped through the net. But there's children that don't get diagnosed uh, with dyslexia until they're 16, 17. And by that time, they've been through some of their major exams and they haven't had the help they needed or deserved for that. And it's like children getting to 17, 18. And if we could have helped them back when we could have made a difference, when their parents could have been part of their treatment program, when they had that support system that a child has that a teenager or an adult does not have, it would have just been a way to do it. And also to eating disorders aren't a taboo subject. We talk about parents who've suffered illnesses at school. We talk about we have we celebrate when it's cancer awareness month. We talk about that. But yet at school we don't talk about eating disorders. And I understand it has to be age appropriate. And I understand that there's certain ages and weights that things that we won't talk about with children but at the end of the day when the children are looking at TikTok all day and they're looking at adverts on TV and that people are putting calories on menus which is I know is a thing in the US but it's a new thing in the UK um, and the children are now more in depth they're thinking about it and they need to know that there's a real side effect of what could happen and they need to know the dangers are that Eating disorders aren't the stereotypes that when you're 12 and 13, you think they are. White girls, skinny. That's not an eating disorder. There are so many hundreds of different types of eating disorders that anyone and everyone can and present with. And in a society that thrives off diet culture, I just think the children need to be made aware of it so they don't become a victim of it. 
that's I mean everything you're saying I'm just the people who can't you know I'm shaking my head like, <laughs> yes, yes yes right um and it is so new right like I I mean if you think about social media in general it feels like it's been around forever but yet it it is so new in the sense of like we still don't really know the impact that it's having yeah which is so scary because we didn't know the impact of smoking until so many years later mm-hmm. and that's what I just always keep thinking about it's just yeah and it's hard it isolates children if they're not on it and it isolates them if they are on it <laughs> I don't know the answer Right. It's so hard. I mean, even as a parent, I think about yeah. that. Like, oh, God, I, I can't imagine that job. That's the hardest job ever. Well, it's, it is hard. Just to, you, when you said that, I went, oh, yes, exactly. It's like, I, I don't like my children on the social media, yet if they're not on it, it's so true. They're like disconnected from their peers and they're, yeah. they don't feel like they're in with everybody. So it's, it is this hard balance. And so how do you navigate that? And I think what you're doing is great. Is like, you're wanting to get education out there. You're wanting to get, you know, everybody on board with like knowledge, right? Just armoring people mm. with like, okay, what what is out there? What are the harms? What are the potential dangers? I mean, it's still so hard though, even if you know it, what you see out there is still what you think's reality. Yeah. And like even when I see adverts and stuff nowadays, I even as someone who's been in recovery and has had workshops and workshops on body image and groups over and over again looking through magazines um even I'm like oh they are okay and have to check myself because immediately we believe what we see because that's why would why would the world lie to us but it's not lie that's a bit serious but why would they deceive us and they do and so now are you coming up with like a a protocol or a program that you're bringing to teachers so I yeah I'm working on a teacher training um it's more like a staff uh CPD so professional development because we have like hour-long trainings each week as staff um and so I will be in the new year reaching out like in September reaching out to schools um with my like growth not grades presentation and program which um will be a survey that I send to schools to get all their staff TAs because it's all staff that need it it's not just class teachers because often it's the um teaching assistants and the lunchtime assistants that will spot those signs that teachers won't um to do surveys to find out what they know and then I have a base like slides and information that I go through however if it's clear that a school is really missing like a key lump of information or there's a real myth in there it's an anonymous survey to all the staff like and if there's a key myth that's happening that people think are eating disorders I will debunk that myth and make sure that it's tailored to them because as a teacher I know there's nothing worse than sitting in your one hour a week of inset and training and then telling you things that aren't helpful and so and that one hour you could be marking or planning um, and so I think that that yeah I just want to make sure it's tailored to each of the school so I've spent a long time coming up with a survey so that I can send it and it will all be free and just it can be online or in person um, and I'm just hoping to email that out to as many schools as possible to take part and also to um, teach training units so universities that run courses um, I'm hoping to get into some of them so far I've had no luck but I, I keep trying so it's fine uh, now will this also include um mental health in general like 
like depression, anxiety, or something? Yeah, it touches on, you know, it touches on everything. So the main, it's it's called eating disorders and other men. It's like eating disorders and other mental health. Um, because I know that we have some organisations in the UK, such as like Mind and Young Minds, and they do and place to be, and they do fantastic things specifically around anxiety, depression, and low mood. And I feel as though so often we're reading about the increase in children with eating disorders, like the amount of articles I read every day about it, cutting out from magazines, um, is incredible. And it's amazing because we're, we're putting so much money into fighting obesity in the UK. And we're putting, we're not yet it's like I open the newspaper and it's like obesity is killing hundreds of people. And at the same time, the next article is eating disorders rise. And I'm like, can no one see the link? Like, is, is no one reading each other's articles in the paper? You work at the same paper, you probably sit at a desk next to each other. And I just, and it just actually baffles me that these people are in charge of our country and they, they're just not making the link between the two. One is not more important than the other. Well, actually, that's a complete lie. I mean, one is more important than the other. And we need to be fighting eating disorders in order for people to learn about food, to learn about nutrition, to learn about education, to learn about prevention. And with that, the obesity rate will drop if that's what they're so concerned about. But I'm concerned about the mental health of our people as opposed to what they look like and weight shaming them. Well, right. Uh, you know, and I've often said on this podcast, it's like, <laughs> I love that you did that. It's like everyone's so concerned about what people look like on the outside and they're not worried about what's going on actually for their health. Like, right? Like people are so driven to look a certain way, but they're doing things that are literally killing themselves. Um, they're not actually concerned about their mental health, their physical Yeah, and I heard your, your podcast with Danny O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And it's like they they're so concerned about what he puts out into the world as they're not concerned about it's all about him. It's all about physical appearance and value to something else. And it's what was so shocking about that is because someone else was doing it to him. Mm-hmm. It was like someone else was feeding him the eating disorder and he was kind of the vessel for it. Mm-hmm. Yet they were putting it into his mind simply so they could look good, and that—that's what really got me about that. Because I don't even think they were—they weren't even concerned. It's like the people that. But then again, maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know any better because they weren't taught any better, and that's why it needs to happen in schools because that's one place you can target everyone. And at, at a younger age, when. They're learning things, right? And they are actually an active audience, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I'm thinking to just. I'm wondering if there's a hesitancy for teachers sometimes to approach parents, thinking like parents might not be receptive, or teachers are overstepping their bounds. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. I think that a lot of teachers would feel that way. That if they said anything, it's like they're not meant to say that so for example I have um a teaching assistant with me um and she is from Australia and I know that if a child 
um, in my school has a specific snack. Teachers are meant to take it away and say this is a bad snack. And they use the language of good and bad, which, yeah, it's really shocking. I can tell by your face you agree with the shock. Yeah. Um, it's So there's certain snacks that we're meant to take away from children. And my friend from Australia, who, who I work with, a great colleague, she was like, in Australia, teachers have no say over what child eats. Like their parents give some food. And that is their parents' role. Like, you can't go around, like, people at schools check kids' lunch boxes here. And, like, that's unhealthy. That's healthy. And it's like, you're, you're not their parent. And at the same time, if something were to come up and you weren't to tell them, they'd be furious. But if you tell them, it's just, it's bewildering. I never tell a child. I say, I hold my hands up to that. And I tell my teachers, they're like, oh, did you know they had certain snack? And I'm like, yeah, I knew. And I'm going to let them have it because it's their parents, what their parents give them. I'm not their parent. I don't choose what goes in and out in their body. You don't know what that child's doing all day. You don't know what that child's situation is at home. You don't know if they can afford any different. So who am I to tell a child what to eat? I'm there to educate them. And they can then make those decisions on their own. But the language of good and bad food in the school system in the UK is absolutely shocking. And yeah, it's just like that's it's terrible. And the only education we get on food in from the age of six to eleven is in science they draw the perfect plate. So they draw a third of it with grains and a third of it with veg and a third of it with meat. And that's it. There's no cooking, there's nothing hands on. They just learn it on a plate. And I tell you that I don't remember anything about learning it on a plate because that's not how children learn to do the right thing or get interested or get excited about food, which is what it should be. It should be about sharing meals in a community and learning key skills. It shouldn't be about drawing on a plate with a protractor to make sure every part's even. And that's just giving you disordered eating, isn't it? Well, right. And, you know, as you know, people who have eating disorders are, tend to be perfectionistic. So like we love learning that, it's like, oh, I have to do this perfectly or then I'm doing it wrong, right? The good or bad, yeah. unhealthy, unhealthy, like third, 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 like, ugh. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. It's just not, it's not right. And it's really hard because the part of people that you need to impact to change it would be the Department of Education, everyone, the secretary, the NHS and I get that that's not possible but it needs to start from within it needs to start it's not going to come up down it needs to go from bottom upwards in order to impact and for that we need the parents on board and you need teachers on board and you need the children want to learn about things they are so much I feel like they're older than we were at their age (laughs) at their age I was like lego yes please and don't get me wrong, they still love Lego and I still love Lego. But if we, we watch a show called News Round here and it will talk about uh, like mental health, it will say like, oh, this week's that. And the children say, what what do I need to know about that? How can I support my mental health? And like we do a lot of that in my classroom. And honestly, that's the best thing I get from teaching. So we had parents evening the other night and the parents just said, "You, my child can come home and identify what they're feeling. And I'm like, you know, I don't care if they can't put a comma in a sentence. And that's terrible, but it's true. I don't, I really don't care if they know how to use a comma. But I really, really care that they can come in and say, Florence, I'm having a really bad day today. I'm here, but I'm just, I know I won't work my best. 
and I just kind of want to sit quietly, but I wanted to be here. And that's all I need for them. I have kids come up to me and say, I'm so angry. I think I'm going to hit someone. Good. I'm glad you told me that. Well done. And that's what I need from them. I need the emotional literacy. I don't need the other stuff. That's not going to come until the emotional literacy there is there. Well, and I think you're spot on. I mean, of course, I'm biased. I'm a psychologist. But, you know, the emotional intelligence (laughs) has been lacking. And, you know, I could have a whole other podcast on what I think about, you know, the mental health needs of our society in yeah. general right now and like you know there's debates about all of that but we've been neglecting it for sure um you know we're so at least here in the states you know we're so worried about like getting straight A's or you know getting into college and like all these other things um and you know I've often joked and like I don't remember the last time I you know calculated the angle of like a isosceles triangle from geometry Absolutely. but certainly like having the ability to have good communication skills or identify my feelings so that you know I can be present for work or um you know if I need some time for self-care or things like that that's much more important and I would certainly wasn't taught that in high school um you know all those things are very important like having good relationships knowing how to you know interview or knowing how you know to take some time so that you don't like blow up and have road rage or hit somebody or you know those those are all very important things to your point yeah definitely like today I was playing with a fidget in class and it popped and I was like right (laughs) and the kids always see me playing so just like right something's really annoying me right now Mm -hmm. um and so I was able to figure that out and I realized what it was but obviously it wasn't great that the fidget popped but it was like this weird white toothpaste stuff inside but anyway um it wasn't great that it popped but the fact that I picked it up and needed it was immediately for me a sign and often when I'm teaching I'm putting so much into other people and as a teacher you have to be that every day you're putting so much into other people that you don't realize if you're angry or upset about something um and then so that to me as soon as I reached for a fidget which is which are for the children I was like now I know how I'm feeling and then like I can tell by having the fidgets on the table that the children reach for when I know when they're fading if I know when they're feeling calm um and you can tell from that and I say to them when they pick one up okay can you identify what you're feeling right now that made you want to pick that up and it might be frustration. It might just be simply because they want to. And I remind them that that's okay too, because they don't need a reason for wanting to do something. But it's just about making them aware that sometimes we rely on those things because we're feeling something that we can't quite express. And naming that is important. No, and I think they're very lucky to have you as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if we did shift, I mean, we can't obviously like abandon all learning with academics of course not yes it does need to be more integration and more balance for sure yeah it needs to be in our English lessons in our math lessons because it's not one or the other it's both and Mm -hmm. well and it sounds like you're really trying to make some inroads and it sounds like it's slow moving but hopefully you're feeling like there is some yeah like when I talk to people like you and when I see and listen to your podcast and when I see that there's other like-minded people and that's what social media is good for because sometimes I'm like I'm fighting I'm battling a wall it's getting higher and higher and higher and higher but then I realize actually I'm not 
because there's people like you and there's people who are brave enough to speak out about it um, and also eager enough that they don't need to change the world. Like, obviously, yes, the dream, I would love to change the world. But if four people listen to this, if 10 people listen to this, I know more people than that listen to your podcast. But that is enough to change it for one person. And so sometimes when it feels like you're getting nowhere, so you're not doing any, I'm not, haven't found out from any, haven't got back to any teaching universities, haven't got back to me about doing a course. I'm like, wow, so no one actually cares. But then I realized there are other people out there that care. And it's just about finding that. Well, and that's exactly to your point. Like, how do you make change unless you start to speak out and you start to reach out to other people? So I personally, I really value that all that you're doing and I'm glad to have you on here and hopefully somebody out there listening will like want to reach out to you. And I'm actually curious, like if somebody does want to and they're like, oh my gosh, like, yes, Florence, I want to talk to you. Like, let's get this going. Let's get some something moving together. Like, how can they find you? Oh, so they can find me on Instagram and um, at growth, not grades. And or they can find me on my Instagram, which is at Florence Tag, both of them linked to the other one. So you can find me there or growthnotgrades at gmail.com. So just reach out, let me know, tell me a win today, anything. Any any thoughts about uh, bringing things to the States? Are you just sticking to the UK right now? Um, I'm currently in discussion with some very interesting, like um, I don't know if you know half the story. So Larissa May, she does a great program about like screen usage in schools. Um, and body image and that's something I'm really really interested in um, and the treatment centers I went to were in the states so I'm in, gonna start talking to them soon um, I've got one week left of school till school's up here and then I've got four weeks off very different holiday system to the US but and then I'm planning on those four weeks aren't going to be school work but they're going to be I call this passion work so and then they're going to be passion work so it doesn't feel as much like work because it's passion work. So emailing, writing. Um, and I am currently writing a book that com I wrote 24 journals when in treatment. Um, and so I'm currently writing a book, compiling them, which they all sit in the massive box behind me. Um, and I'm currently going through them all and rewriting, like writing my story. So we'll see. Oh, that passion work. <laughs> Let me know when the book's written too. So reach out. I will. I will. <laughs> well, Florence, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. We need more passionate people out there to make some change. So really, really appreciate Thank you for having me. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.